and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. Life is full of choices. Each and every day, we make hundreds of choices and decisions. We wake up in the morning and we decide and choose what to wear. We choose what to have for breakfast. We figure out and decide and choose which parent is going to drop off which kid at school that day. You choose to go out with friends after work or go home and binge some crime TV drama on Netflix. You choose whether to spend an hour exercising or you choose to spend an hour to see if you can eat an entire large pizza by yourself. <laughs> we make decisions all day, every day, most of which are pretty insignificant. But it's a choice and it's a decision nonetheless. And for, uh, for most of us, when we make a decision, a meaningful decision, we stick to that decision. We stick to that choice. That we've decided to do it. And because of that, we need to see it through. Even when it gets tough, even when we're tired or we just don't feel like it anymore, we made a decision, and we made a commitment, and we stick to it. Turn your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 24. And we're going to look at a record where Joshua makes a decision. He makes a choice, and he challenges Israel to make a choice for themselves. You have to choose your favorite football team, and you got to stick with that team, even yeah. through good seasons and bad. In Joshua chapter 24 and in verse 1, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads, and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. So Joshua gets the tribes of Israel together, and he gets the heads of all these tribes, the top brass, the shot callers, the guys in charge, the guys in authority, and he starts reminding these guys of everything that God has done for Israel. He says, Thus saith the Lord, continuing in verse 2, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor. And they served other gods. Being on the other side of the flood is not somewhere you want to be. They were serving other gods other than the true God, the true God, Lord of Israel. Verse 3. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. Right? We just remember, we just learned about Abraham and Isaac and the promises that God gave to him. Verse 4, And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seri, it possess it. And God keeps going through all these 
incredible things that he has done for Israel. In verse 5, he says, I sent Moses, also an Aaron. He says, I brought your fathers out of Egypt. In verse 7, when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. Verse 8, I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan, and they fought with you. And I gave them into your hand, that ye might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Keeps going down. In verse 11, And ye went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. The Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. God did this for Israel. He's reminding them. Joshua's reminding them of all the things God has done. Verse 12, he says, And I sent the hornet before you and drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword nor with thy bow. So Joshua's reminding all these leaders of the tribes of Israel of all the things that God has done for them. If you read through all the records, Israel always seemed to go astray from the true God. They always seemed to fall off, and then God would send a prophet or somebody and call them back to God. And they would come back, and then they'd fall off again. And then they'd come back, and they'd fall off again. Yet, through all that, God always took care of them. You remember how they wandered around the desert? God had shown them the way to the promised land, literally, by a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. Could you imagine if God said, Hey, Mike, I want you to go over to this place, and you know what? I'm going to light the way. You don't need your GPS. You don't need your phone. A pillar of smoke in the sky that you have to follow. And when it gets dark, I'm going to light it up like fire. I'm in. If God's doing something so incredible that all I have to do is, I mean, you're seeing this. How can you possibly be, mm, no, I don't think so, God. Like, he's lighting up the sky. He's taking care of you. So I'm all in. You know what the Israelites did? They moaned and complained and were negative at every little tribulation, every little thing that seemed to go wrong. They started getting hungry, and they said, we're going to starve out here. If God was going to bring us out into the desert, he's just going to have us die out here? He could have left us back in Egypt. We could have died just as well there. Why did he even bother bringing us out into the desert? We're going to starve to death. And God said, forget you. That's enough. No. no. God made bread rain from heaven. <laughs> what a thankful and appreciative bunch those Israelites were. Yeah. <laughs> but God always took care of them. He always took care of them. He made it rain manna from heaven. Turn, look at verse 13. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, in cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not, do you eat. That's, I gave you a city you didn't build. I gave you crops you didn't grow. I gave you food you didn't grow. This is all that I've done for you. And I've just given it to you. Verse 14. Joshua says, Now therefore, fear the Lord. Uh, respect Him. Revere Him. Have reverence towards the Lord. 
and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Joshua's putting it to him. He's putting it in black and white. He's telling him, serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth. Not out of necessity, not out of burden, not out of tradition. I love that it says in sincerity and in truth because sincerity is no guarantee for truth. You can be so sincere and be so off on the truth of the word. But Joshua tells them to choose to serve God with sincere, in sincerity and in truth. Look at verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua puts his foot down and he tells the Israelites, listen, make up your mind already. Are you going to follow the true God? Are you going to believe him? Or are you going to go off and serve these other gods? Enough of this being on the fence, back and forth, blowing hot, blowing cold. You're for God one day. You're not the next. He puts it to them and tells the Israelites to make a decision. And Joshua takes a stand. He had his mind made up. And he wasn't going to change it. He was fully persuaded. He dug his heels in, and he was fully committed. And he said to you guys, you make up your mind. Are you going to follow God or the false gods of your fathers? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's exactly what we have to do. We have to make up our minds and make a decision, make a choice. Are you going to believe God in his word? Are you going to stand on his word? Or are you going to follow the ways of the world? Are you going to follow and listen to people? Are you going to listen to what the media says and what culture says? Or are you going to follow what the word says? Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We know that you can't serve both. We know that's a, that's a truth in God's word. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't have two masters. You either can follow and believe and stand on God's word, or you can follow the ways of the world. Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 10. says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It says, be strong in the Lord. Well, how strong is God? How great is his might? We, we listened to a teaching uh, last Thursday talking about El Shaddai, God Almighty. He spoke and created light. He spoke the heavens and the earth into being. He spoke and created a new creature in us in the new birth. And he says to take, be strong in that power and in that might. Is there anything stronger than God? No. And he tells us to be strong in him. We have him to be strong in. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. Not just a piece of the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you will be able. That you will be able. If you're going into battle with just your knee pads on, 
Your knees are going to be fine. The rest of you is vulnerable. The rest of you is open. It's easy pickings for the adversary to come in and wound you if all you got on is a piece of armor. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil, that word wiles means cunning arts, deceit, trickery, craftiness, the craftiness and trickery of the devil. We put on that whole armor of God that we'll be able to, that we'll be able to with this whole armor stand against that trickery and that craftiness. You know, I often think that I, I just can't imagine living my life without God. I just can't. I don't know how people do it. Uh, I told a, a good friend of mine, he had a baby about a year ago, and I said, I'd never be, I could never be a parent without God. I just couldn't. I would be paralyzed with fear every day if I didn't have God. You know, I'd, I would be that parent, you know, who was always thinking, well, what if they got hurt? What if something bad happened? What if I'm not there? And I'd be terrified to drop them off at school every day. But thankfully, we have God to wrap his loving arms around them, to around us, to comfort us, to build us up, because we can be strong in the power of his might. We just can't do it all on our own. We can't. And you know what? We're not designed to. We're not designed to do it on our own. Man is designed to be a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. We're meant to be complete and whole. We're not designed to do all this on our own. God wants us to come to him so that he can help us. So put on the armor of God and be strong in his might, not on our own. If you try to stand against the wiles of the devil with your own strength and devices, you're toast. That's it. But God tells us to stand. Put on that whole armor, and when you put on that whole armor, you will be able to stand against the trickery and deceit of the devil. Verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, this verse was a revelation in my life when I started coming to fellowship and hearing the truth of the word. When the curtain was drawn back and I saw who was pulling the strings in this world, when I saw that life was spiritual and that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against spiritual wickedness, that absolutely blew my mind. It blew my mind. And whether people are not, whether people believe it or not, whether they're aware or oblivious, life is spiritual. And anything truly good comes from God. And all negativity comes from the God of this world, that lowercase g, the devil. You know, the devil doesn't come right out and say, I'm the devil, I'm evil, this is wrong, but you know, you should do it anyway. Because most people are probably smart enough to see that. He slowly, quietly chips away at you. Look, look at our society and our culture. Look at the way the adversary has attacked. He's patient and he's crafty in his deceit and his trickery and his craftiness. He'll make something look good. And then he'll bite 
And then he's got you hook, line, and sinker if you're not walking with spiritual eyes and with awareness. There's good and better and best, and the true God always gives the best and nothing less. Nothing less. So in verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And I know it sure seems like it sometimes. I know it sure seems like we wrestle against flesh and blood. But when you walk spiritually, walking with God, walking with the Word, renewing your mind, you can see spiritually how things are happening. Verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now this is the second time God, God has said this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. This should draw your attention to it. It's two times he said it. It's established. You should say, God must be pretty serious about this whole armor business. He, he must mean what he's saying here because he, he said it twice. And I know I only have to hear things about 400 times to get it, but he says it twice in, in three verses. So that should bring our attention that this is important. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Having done all. Having done all. Given it everything you've got. You know, I said... We have the Super Bowl coming up, and I can't do a teaching without a sports reference. It's impossible for me. <laughs> but when I think about giving it your all and having done all and giving it everything you've got, I have seen quarterbacks try to go for a touchdown playing on broken legs. Their teammates have to pick them up and run them down the field to the next play because they can't stand up. But a quarterback is going to try to score a touchdown playing on broken legs. I've seen a hockey player push through the playoffs with a punctured lung and broken ribs and still going out and playing every shift. I've seen a major league pitcher in a playoff game, a winner-go-home game with blood soaking through his sock and going out and throwing 98-mile-an-hour fastballs. They did all that for a trophy. They did all that for a medal, for men's praise, for a corruptible crown. You've heard the expression, leave it all on the field. You leave it all on the field. You give it everything you've got. When you feel exhausted, like you've got nothing left, you dig deeper and you stand. You stand. You've got the power and the might of God on your side. God Almighty, El Shaddai, on your side. That you can with him, with that whole armor of God, putting it on, you can withstand in the evil day if you put that whole armor on. So what is this whole armor that God keeps talking about? Verse 14. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Your loins girt about with facts of the world. No. no, because facts are not truth and truth are not facts. Facts are man-made. Truth is God's word and it liveth and abideth forever. Facts change. Mm -hmm. Have your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. We know we're righteous. Do we act like it all the time? 
Do we remember it all the time? No. We can, and we should. We should act like it. That we can stand in front of God without any sense of sin, guilt, or condemnation. Because God has made us righteous in Christ. And he tells us to put on that breastplate, that bulletproof vest of righteousness. Verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet shod with the gospel of peace, the good news of peace. How much do people need to hear peace? How much do we just want that peace? And we have that peace. We have our feet shod with it. We have our steel-toed boots of the gospel of peace. In verse 16, And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Ye shall. Ye shall is an absolute. Not a maybe, not a might happen, not a you should, this is a possible, a ye shall. If God says ye shall, you absolutely shall. Take that shield of faith, of believing, and you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. What a mind picture, the fiery darts of the wicked. Uh, you know, I just see a castle in some medieval you know, battle scene, you know, and they're firing these arrows of fire. And you're down below, and you just take your shield, and you throw it in front of you, and those arrows just, they don't hit you. But not only does your shield of believing, not only do those arrows not hit you, they quench the fiery darts of the wicked. They quench it. They put them out. Captain America had a pretty cool shield. <laughs> Ours is cooler. Ours is more powerful. Because not only do you not get hit if you have that shield up, but anything he tries, anything the adversary tries to do is going to hit that shield and it's just going to, it's going to be like a sparkler that won't sparkle. It's just a dud. He tries to fire that flaming arrow and it goes out. When it hits your believing, your believing can stop it. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The Word of God is our sword. <clears throat> the Word of God is our sword. So we have our loins girt about with truth. We have our bulletproof vest of righteousness. We have our steel-toed boots of, uh, of the gospel of peace. We have our shield of believing. We have our helmet of salvation. We have our sword of the Spirit. So think about waking up in the morning. You wake up, your eyes pop open because we're believers and we're so excited to hop out of bed we can't wait to see what God has in store for us. Even if there's snow on the ground, <laughs> even if it's cold, mm -hmm. we're so excited to get out of bed. But before your head even leaves that pillow, get dressed. Get dressed with the whole armor of God. Put on your helmet of salvation, your breastplate of righteousness, your sword of the Spirit. Put it on. Put it on. Once you've got that on, you're ready to go out into the world, fully equipped. You're ready to go out to school. You're ready to go out to your job. You're ready to go out to the store. You're ready to go to your Zoom meeting. 
Zoom meetings are cool because you only see from here to here. You don't even have to wear pants at a Zoom meeting. I would rather walk around without pants on than be caught without my helmet of salvation or my breastplate of righteousness. God tells us to stand. He tells us to stand because we can. He's made it available. He tells us to stand because we should and be strong in Him. That we're not doing it on our own. It's not an impossible task. It's not an insurmountable feat. We can stand, but we have to do it. And He tells us exactly how. If you stand and you put on the whole armor of God, you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. But having done all, stand. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean things don't go wrong in your life. It doesn't mean bad things don't happen. But being a believer means... It means we can get smacked pretty hard and get up every time. We can get up every time and have the whole armor of God. God tells us a number of times to stand, to stand. You don't have to turn there. I'll flip through. Philippians 4.1 says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved, Colossians 4.12 says, Epiphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And in Galatians, we've just been going through Galatians. Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. When they try putting you under the law, stand. When they try telling you you've got to work to get into heaven, stand. When they try telling you that it's by works and not by grace, stand. Stand with the sword of the Spirit so that you will know the truth and have your loins girt about with truth. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3 and in verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning the faith. So Paul sends Timotheus to the Thessalonians. He wanted to go, but he sends Timothy. He wants to know how they're doing over there in Thessalonica. To establish you and comfort you concerning your faith. Verse 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. For this cause, which when I could no longer forbear, when I couldn't wait any longer, I sent to know your faith, your believing, lest by some means the tempter, the adversary, have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Paul wants to check up on the Thessalonians, knowing that there's been affliction, there's been tribulations, and he wants to know, how are they doing? Are they on the word? Verse 6, But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith 
and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. That's the body. That's the fellowship. You long to be with each other. You want to know how they're doing. What can I do to help? Are you standing? And then when you hear that they are, you're rejoicing. You're rejoicing and you're so happy. You just want to be together. Verse 7. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. What comfort that brought Paul to know that the Thessalonians were standing, that in all the things going on in his life, his trials, his tribulations, his afflictions, the, the stuff that he was dealing with, just hearing that the Thessalonians were standing and believing and they were right on, it comforted him. It comforted him. God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And he never, ever leaves us hanging. He's fully equipped us to handle anything the adversary throws our way. And not only to survive and make it past those problems and situations and tribulations, but to emerge victorious. Victorious. He has made us more than conquerors, super conquerors, that we don't just get by. We emerge victorious. To not just stop the, heart, the darts from hitting us, but to quench them and put them out completely. He's already made us victorious in every situation through His Son, Jesus Christ. We can stand tall and bold and bright without fear, without doubt, without worries and anxiety. All we have to do is make the decision to believe it, to stand, and to put on that whole armor of God. God bless you. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.